Welcome to you, Money. I'm Brian Hirsch, and I'll be concentrating this evening on estate planning. One can never anticipate what the future holds. The concept and advice behind estate planning is to help you make the right choices about securing the financial well-being of those you leave behind. For the many years that I've known my guest this evening, he always asks the question, you spend a lifetime building an estate. How much time do you take in protecting and preserving it? And joining me, I'm glad to welcome Tony Davey, who's Director and Master Tax Practitioner at Davey Foss Tax Practitioners. Tony, great to have you on the programme with me again. Right. Tony, I know the last eight months you've been quite busy with the Special Voluntary Disclosure Programme. So a couple of questions relating to that. The first thing is, were you surprised that we actually ended up with like a, a third type of amnesty after 2003 and 2010? Well, I, th I think one has to look at the world macro environment, uh, uh, Brian, and South Africa is a, a signatory to what's called common reporting standards, which is basically an exchange of information with about another 120 other countries, which includes the tax havens. So many countries who are signatories to that exchange of information um, have given their citizens um, persons, more technically, who, who are what we call ordinarily resident, a last chance to come clean. In other words, you come forward to the Reserve Bank and SARS before they get the information and come to you. So Tony, this ended in August 2017. Correct. So we're now virtually eight, nine months into it. Mm -hmm. Is it completed? Has SARS given all the approval? Have uh, the exchange Reserve Bank given approval? Is everyone now mm -hmm. that's come forward clean? Mm -hmm. Look, deadlines have come and gone for your, the submission of your application, but it's still very much work in progress, Brian. In, in our experience, we're about 50% of the way through because, uh, you know, these, these are complex matters. And it's not just a question of filling in a few forms. You know, there's a, there's a lot of toing and froing, and um, so it's work in progress. And I think it'll take probably another six months or so to be. And complete. Tony, I mean, once clients came forward and disclosed their assets, and you're making a comment, this wasn't South Africa alone. Many countries had what we call in adverted commons an amnesty. Yes. But once, uh, once, once every, I mean, Osars accepting information, Reserve Bank accepting it. Or are you finding some obstacles in your way? Are you asking them, asking for a lot more information that may be unreasonable in terms of what originally was set out in their mandate? Look, we, we, we found it constructive engagement. I will say that. There, 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 there's sometimes a lot more detail required than initially submitted. Um, but it's, an, in my view, a bona fide attempt to, to, to try and um, assist people and regularizing themselves. Okay, so let's talk about globally now. If you haven't done that, what about people who, have, who, who didn't do it in 2003 or 10 or even now? Is it likely that that information is going to come, ultimately find its way mm. into our SARS office? Uh, Brian, in my view, yes. Because um, these other countries have to identify persons who are non-resident but who have either trusts or investments there. They then, once they've identified what we call the beneficial owners, they tell their own treasury, who in turn will then uh, advise SARS and the Reserve Bank on this side. So in my view, it's definitely going to happen. It's been phased in over a three-year period or so, but it will happen. So if you haven't regularized yourself, 
Um, you can still do certain post-facto regularizations, but obviously the deal is not as good. Tony, let's just talk about, in 2003, if you took the original amnesty, assets in that amnesty that were offshore, that you cleaned up, did not form part of your South African estate. For estate duty For estate duty purposes. Yes. For yes. tax purposes, obviously. Yes. Now? No, the, um, the legislation, this SVDP, the 2016 SVDP, um, actually says if you have assets in a trust, you deemed to hold them for purposes of all tax acts. That would include for purposes of the Estate Duty Act. So it means that assets in a foreign trust on which you applied for the SVDP will actually form part of your estate for estate duty purposes unless the asset is disposed of by the trust prior to your death, in which event it's, it's gone. Tony, assume someone inherited from an offshore source, someone living in South Africa, family in the UK, inherited assets, those assets remain offshore, do they form part of your South African estate? Um, look, the general rule, Brian, is that if you die ordinarily resident in South Africa, then your worldwide estate, so not just South African source, but your estate offshore as well, is part of your dutiable estate and subject to estate duty. So it is a worldwide basis. However, um, despite that general rule, there are exceptions. If you inherited from a genuine non-resident a foreign asset and that asset remained offshore, then that's an exception to the general rule. So you've got to look at the facts of, of each case. Well, we're going to take a break. We're not taking calls this evening. This program is pre-recorded. We will deal with emails that have come on. Please stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing estate planning. My guest is Tony Davey. We've just been discussing at this point in time the special VD program, the special voluntary disclosure program, which South Africans were entitled to take advantage of, which, which really dealt with assets that they had offshore, which were not disclosed either to South African Revenue or South African Reserve Bank. Tony's has been making some comments on that. Tony, what sort of money, I mean, have we budgeted? There must, I mean, in 2003, I think you mentioned something like 40 billion disclosed, but any idea what sort of money we're talking about? And do you think it's been included in SARS estimate of revenue for this year? Mm, uh, no, I, I don't think so, Brian. I think it's premature to, to estimate what the take will be. You've got to bear in mind that um, with SARS, there was a special voluntary disclosure program, but a lot, of, a lot of people could alternately have taken what we call normal voluntary disclosure program uh, because they didn't need the special for various technical reasons. So it's going to be very difficult to actually figure out uh, what uh, the total take will be. Maybe SARS can provide something next year. So SVDP dealt with both exchange control and, and, and SARS, but mm. the VD program, which is a voluntary disclosure program, allows South Africans who are not under investigation to mm. actually disclose, disclose 
any income that they've earned offshore mm. which they haven't paid tax on, and there will be no penalties. Correct, yeah. Uh, the, the normal VDP doesn't relate only to offshore, I might add. Remember, normal VDP can be taken by, by a South African taxpayer, whether pertaining to offshore or onshore um, non-disclosure of income with no penalties, yes. Leslie Whitbank says, if I may have made a bona fide error in my tax return by underst- understating certain commissions, what penalties will SARS impose? If you can set, there are various behaviours which, which pertain to the penalties, and the more serious the behaviour, the higher the, the, the penalty. The penalties range uh, from 10 through to 150%. Uh, 150% would be, for example, if there was intentional tax evasion. Okay? And if, for example, many people fall into the category where reasonable care was not taken in preparing your tax return, and that's a 25%. Now, if you When you can, say 25%, 25% of it's, what? It's of the actual tax which should have been paid in terms of the differential. Okay? So it's on the, it's on the actual tax which, which was not, um, uh, you know, or the income of which was not stated. Um, if she can satisfy SARS that this was what we call a bona fide inadvertent error, and SARS have put out uh, about six, eight weeks ago um, a guide as to how they interpret that phrase, because that phrase bona fide inadvertent error is not defined in the tax legislation. But it's basically a genuine bona fide mistake. Then, in fact, no penalty will be imposed. Tony, you put out, you, you, you put out a monthly bullet. You, 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 you write regularly for which publication? Yeah, it, it's basically the cost of the virus tax newsletter. So it's been going many, many years, that oh. particular newsletter. But you put yeah. out, out your own newsletter, which mm. I think you call Tax Shocks. <laughs> is it, no, that's, is that's cost is, uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm an author of that on a monthly basis, yes. Is that readily available to the public? Oh, yes, yes. I want to get hold of it. You've got to just, it's a free subscription, yes, on a monthly basis. Do they go to your website or do they go to... Yes, just go to our website and, and request that and we'll put them on. Which is your, what is your website? It's um, Davy Foss Tax. Oh, that's the name of your company, Davy, Davy yes. Foss, V-O-S Foss. Yes. Mark in Waverley says, my wife and I are earning interest on our loan accounts invested in a money market and we receive six and a quarter percent. Do we have to do anything regarding the changes under section 7C? Then they stop there and we'll, get, we'll go to the next question. There's a second part of that question. Tony, so I know that interest earned in a trust, if no interest, you've got to impute it at eight percent, which is treated as a donation. Yes, uh, the, the, the point of 7C though is that it must be a loan by yourself to a trust. Yes, where you have a loan account. Yeah, so you've got a loan account, yes. And yeah, okay. they, a loan account right, is so obviously invested right. in a bank account, earning right. six and a quarter percent. All right, but that, 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 that's an income tax thing, six and a quarter percent, which would be taxable income as interest. What 7C says, if you make an interest-free loan to a trust, then in those circumstances, they deem the non-charging of interest to be a donation and there will be donations tax levied on the non-charging of the interest on an annual basis. So don't confuse donations tax with income tax. They're two separate issues. So they'd have to pay both interest, tax on the interest earned, if they then distribute that interest to their own name. No, well, 
if they've lent to the trust, with respect, it'll be the trust that's earning the tax. Yes. On, and the trust on, on is that, now going on, to on, on, allow on that interest. Now attribute to your personal tax. Yes. Well, what they should be doing is discharging the trust then the six and a quarter percent. And then there's just a minimal donations tax on the difference the, on, between on, six, on the difference okay, between that, think, that yes, okay. and that that 8% is now I think about 7.25 okay because interest rates have come down mm. and then you see the further question is can I cede my loan account to my wife so that all the interest is payable in her hands and not mine <laughs> look you can cede a loan account to a spouse because there's no donations tax between spouses but um, from a tax point of view um, there are provisions of the Income Tax Act, uh, as between spouses, it's uh, section 7, subsection 2, which says that if one spouse earns income as a result of a disposition from the other spouse, then SARS can reassess it and actually um, still tax the interest in the hands of the donor spouse. You know, whether, does, whether that actually does it happens happen, in practice... Um, you make the uh, point they have the right to do that. They, they have yeah. the right to do that. It doesn't seem to happen much in practice. Cyril in Janisburg says, Over the years I've borrowed money from trusts that were created for me, of which I'm a beneficiary. I have assets in my personal name. However, if the loans are repaid to the trust, it will virtually deplete my estate I'd left. I'd left the assets before repayments of the loan to children and grandchildren. Is it in order to give a letter to the trustees that in the event of my death, any shortfall in my personal estate with regard to these bequests will be settled by distribution from the trust to my personal estate? Yes, look, I mean, one can ask the trustees. I mean, uh, if it's a properly run trust that you can request through a letter of wishes, it's not legally enforceable. And the trustees will then exercise their discretion and if the request in the letter of wishes seems reasonable, they're quite entitled to make a distribution to the estate, which in turn can use that to make bequests to the, uh, you know, That sounds to me to be quite reasonable tax planning, estate planning. Mm. I owe money to the trust. On my death, I've got to now repay it. So my estate's going to be depleted virtually to nothing. But I wanted to leave money to my children. So I'm saying to my trustees, <laughs> will you make a distribution to my children? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose there are different ways of looking at it as well in the sense that um, you could just make those children and they likely are already beneficiaries under the trust and the trust can just make a distribution to them directly. It doesn't need to come through the estate to go through the will. You know, I think the easier method is just amend the will and rather have the beneficiaries as beneficiaries under the trust itself. Probably are, probably are mm. both. Anyway, mm. uh, but Tony, I, I, I let people know that you will be on my program this evening and hence some of the questions are a little bit different to the taking advantage of your background. You're an accountant, you're a lawyer, you're a master tax practitioner. Raylene Jansberg says, in our memorandum incorporating shelters, shelters have a preemptive right 51% of our shareholders are black. If shareholders exercise their right, then it would obviously change the shareholding. Can the memorandum of incorporation be changed? So here we've got a situation where I would imagine 51% owned by black shareholders, 49% by white, giving them their full BE status. Mm. One of the sh white shareholders wants to sell, or one of the black shareholders wants to sell. Mm. You've now got a preemptive right. So, in, so if the whites now buy 2%, in terms of the preemptive right, it'll change the overall shareholding in terms of 
BE compliance. Can you change a memorandum? Yes, look, I mean, a, a memorandum of incorporation can, can be changed by special resolution, but that requires a 75% vote unless your memorandum of incorporation sets a lesser figure. So the answer is yes, the memorandum of incorporation can be changed as long as the general rule is a 75% special resolution. Because I would imagine the majority of shareholders' agreements are pretty standard, preemptive rights, not mm. thinking about the implications mm. of a change in that particular uh, aspect when you require um, BEE status. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a short break. You can still send us emails to brian at bdtv.co.za. We'll be back shortly. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Newman this evening. We're discussing estate planning. My guest is Tony Davey. We're not taking calls this evening as this is a pre-recorded pro program. We are answering emails. Rant Bertin Randberg says, I read on SARS website that there's no donations tax between spouses. I have a life partner of 11 years and we have a child together. I cannot find anything on life partners in respect of the above. I would like to donate property cash and shares to the value of six million to her. What taxes apply in my case? Well, I think they've um, been, they're showing intention that they're together, 11 years mm -hmm. and a child. You see, the, um, the tax legislation uh, defines spouse very broadly. And if you are spouse, there's no donations tax between spouses. So first of all, um, if you are in a marriage recognized under the Marriage Act, the so-called traditional, uh, you know, a normal uh, um, uh, solemnized uh, marriage, then you're a spouse. Secondly, if you married according to any religious rights, okay? Got one coming in now. Whether they be, you know, um, uh, Muslim, Hindu, can you, can you, any, let, me, let me just pull this email up from Roshka in Cape Town. It says, can we just pull this email up? Please explain whether a Muslim marriage is recognized as a legitimate marriage and the event of us parting, what rights do I have? So you were just talking about that. So can mm. we just deal with these two together? Mm. The first okay. is right. donations to yeah, someone okay. that's not married but living together yeah. for 11 years okay. and then the, the recognition yeah. of a Muslim yeah. marriage. Well, the Income Tax Act is very broad, as is the Estate Duty Act and including donations um, tax. It's very broad regarding uh, a spouse. So it can be a conventional marriage. It can be, secondly, a religious marriage, which would include a, a Muslim uh, marriage. And it would, thirdly, include any two parties who are in a, um, a same-sex or a heterosexual uh, union which the Commissioner for Inland Revenue deems to be permanent. Basically, if you're living under one roof, okay, on the basis that it's considered to be a permanent relationship, then you don't need to be married conventionally at all. So you've got three scenarios, conventional, religious, and um, thirdly, just living together, but on a permanent basis, all right? Then in those circumstances, SARS will recognize you as a spouse, and there's no donations tax in those. In, in, Can in, make give the donation? Yes, you may make the donation. Duty? State duty as well. State duty act actually regards a spouse, 
in the same way as the income tax act, so no estate duty between spouses. But there's somewhere that says you have the right to regularise your marriage, which therefore doesn't give you those allowances. What does that refer no, to? No, no, that's not for tax purposes. The um, certain marriages, and I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but as I understand it, the Marriage Act currently, although it's under review by the Law Commission, Law Reform Commission, does not recognise certain marriages, for example, a, a Muslim marriage, as a marriage under the Marriages Act. However, um, the courts have said that that doesn't stop uh, persons who are parting ways from claiming maintenance, nor does it stop one claiming a portion of a pension, okay? And certainly for income tax purposes, it's recognised. So the, the practical effect um, is, is such that these marriages are all recognised, but not formally under the Marriage Act. So there are certain nuances which go with that. Okay, so just to answer the question, donation paid from the fact that they're not married, no problem. No problem. In Roshka's case, she did ask no, a further no. question. Will I, have, will I have any claim in, in, against my husband in terms of a Muslim in, marriage? In, in my view, um, there, had, there has been a case and she would be able to claim for maintenance, yes. Okay. Phyllis in Port Elizabeth says, please explain what it means if my husband manages his own trust. It means that is that you, where we talk, start talking mean, about sham mean, trust? Yeah, it, it means that you SARS may regard that as a sham trust, and what I do suggest, given recent case law, is that he should assume co-trustees, preferably two others, so he is one of three, and then uh, basically all decisions should be at least by unanimous vote, so he couldn't be said to be. Um, that the trust is his alter ego. Because if the trust is your alter ego, there are provisions of the, the Estate Duty Act which can therefore deem assets to be yours if you control them, notwithstanding that there is a trust. Secondly, creditors could pursue you on the basis that this is a sham. And thirdly, for income tax purposes, it could possibly be disregarded under our anti-avoidance legislation. So. It's not a good idea to, to be the sole trustee. And then last email for this evening, Rochelle in Eastland says, how penalties calculated or undisclosed income? I think you've made the point. Yeah, it ranges from 25, you said, from you said 25 to as much as 150 percent of, of, of the actual tax which should have been paid if it, income had been properly declared. And it depends, there's a range of behaviours, reasonable care not taken, um, tax position not likely to be upheld if you took a view on it, negligence, uh, gross negligence, intention, and it, it, depending on the severity of, of, of the perceived behaviour, uh, well, the penalty will accordingly arrange. Well, estate planning advice is the most important aspect relating to your financial plan. It will help to minimise taxes during your lifetime, but will also govern what happens to your assets after death. A well-drafted will helps to facilitate the smooth an efficient liquidation of your estate and could reduce estate duty. It will also ensure that your wishes will be respected and that the needs of your loved ones are provided for. Critical to your estate plan is to review your will and trustees on a regular basis. I'd like to thank Tony for joining me evening. Tony, thank you, and I know there's a lot more for us to discuss. If people do want to get hold of you, they certainly can get hold of you through Davy Foss. 
get advice. And we spoke about the especially the special voluntary disclosure program, particularly those people who may not have disclosed offshore assets. It is important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will be focusing on healthcare. And if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.